Well, today we're uh, returning to a study of the book of Psalms. Every spring we spend time in the Psalms. We want to be a worshiping church. We believe that uh, a steady diet of the Psalms uh, keeps praise and worship um, in front of us. And the Psalms are, are God's hymn book for us. And if you're new with us, we've said over the years that really the theme of the Psalms is uh, that Hebrew word hesed, which means uh, uh, is a reference to God's steadfast love to us. Uh, that God has a, a covenant love, a, a love that remains through all the ups and downs. He has a steadfast love for us. And that's really the theme of the book of Psalms. And, and that's uh, really the ground of our praise for Him. So today we're going to be in Psalm 146. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 146. As you turn, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank You for the opportunity to just gather together as Your people doing what your word calls us to do, to to regularly gather together with a group of people to worship you as well as to hear from you from your word. And Lord, as we dive into your word now, this this passage that calls us to praise you, you're, you're commanding us to praise you. I pray, Father, that we would be a praising people, that we would Lift your name high and find joy in seeing you in all of your glory. And Lord, uh, as we embrace that command and hear that command, in areas that we're not doing that, I pray that we would feel a a healthy conviction from your spirit, that that he would really dive into all the nooks and crannies of our thinking and our hearts, that he would shine the light of the gospel there, that, that he would give us eyes to see things that we need to turn from. That he would give us encouragement where we're discouraged. That he would give us faith where we lack. So spirit, come and and do work that you need to do in our hearts today. Finally, Lord, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, humans tend to, to shine light on the things that we love. In other words, we illuminate the things that we care about and that we are most passionate about. We, we radiate when we're interested in something and, and talking about things that are most important to us. For, for example, uh, there, there was a man uh, named Ryan. That, and at the end of the day, Ryan was a great dad. And, and the thing that was most important to him was his kids. And so uh, he was a good dad. He worked hard to provide for his family. Uh, he was at every ball game vacations they went on. They were really all about the kids and what was going to be best for the kids that week. When He was, uh, he was also committed to doing family devotions uh, with his kids, which I highly recommend. He would uh, put them down at night and pray with them and, and read the Bible to them and do different devotions with them. Even when he would go out of town for work, he, he would call kids in the evening and, and do those devotions with him. And even the church that they went to, the, the church that they picked to attend, They picked it because they felt it was best for their kids. And if you cornered Ryan, really what he would chatter on about was his kids. He would talk about their successes and all the different great things that they had done. He would shine light on his kids. Ryan was a good dad. However, one of the older elders in the church, he really began to sense maybe some subtle idolatry in Ryan's heart. You see, he would hear Ryan chatter on about his kids, but he would never hear Ryan chatter on about Jesus. He would hear all about their accomplishments, but there wasn't 
uh, an evidence of a real love for Christ in his life. And he wondered, honestly, did he love his kids more than he loved Jesus? He wondered if really he was at church more for his kids and establishing this uh, religious foundation in their life than he was for praising God. He, he saw this subtle kind of idolatry in his life. Now listen, let's be honest. Christianity will make you a better dad. It will make you a better mom. I think it'll make you a better husband and a better wife, a better friend. It'll make you a better child to your your parent. Also, even outside of family, Christianity will make you a better employee. It'll make you a better boss. It'll make you a better citizen. And even issues of at an emotional, psychological level, Christianity helps you be less depressed or less anxious. It helps you be more hopeful and filled with more joy. But that's really not primarily what it's about. Those are kind of outworkings of the primary things. You see, from this elder's perspective, he felt like Ryan was just kind of checking these religious boxes. But again, at the end of the day, it was more about uh, this religious foundation for his kids than his own walk with the Lord and his own praising of the Lord. And here's what his worry was. He worried that as the kids got older, they were going to see the nominal nature of their dad's faith. And they ultimately it was going to real, do real damage on his kids' faith because they didn't really see him passionate about loving and worshiping the Lord. He worried that at the end of the day, the thing that he dreaded most was actually going to happen with his kids. What gets in the way of you shining light on the Lord? What maybe even good thing gets in the way of that? What, what do you praise more than you praise Jesus? Is, is there something or someone, maybe a good thing that you're more passionate about than you are with Jesus? Like, what do you chatter on about more than you chatter on about Jesus? What do you pin hopes for happiness on more than Jesus? Psalm 146 is important because it really takes us back to the things that are most important. It takes us back uh, to this charge to praise the Lord. At the end of the day, that's the clear admonition of Psalm 146 is to praise the Lord, which means to shine light on the Lord. And as a result of that, as a result of that charge, I think what 146 is a real kind of, uh, kind of a, a check engine moment for all of us. It's a moment kind of like a purity test to really evaluate, are we truly praising God? But also, what does it mean to praise God? Well, before we dive in, just some context here. 146 is, is the first of the final five psalms of the book of Psalms. And there's a theme through all of these final five psalms. The, the scholars call them the Hallel Psalms because of, of this Hebrew word that is the root of the word hallelujah. All five of these psalms have this theme of praising God. The way this book ends is kind of on this crescendo of this call to praise God. You've seen all these glorious things and all these songs and all these poems. And here at the end, there's this call to praise God. This is our spirituality. This is our religion to praise God. Psalm 146 is initially going to call us just very plainly and directly to praise God. Then it's going to kind of call us out and contrast about what are the things that keep us from praising God. It's going to tell us to not praise or trust princes. And then it's going to touch on these, this blessing of praising God. You see, this is a command to praise Him, but it blesses us when we do it. And finally, it's going to close on this glorious praise of God. So 146 is all about shining light on the light. Let's start with the first two verses in this call to praise the Lord. Psalm 146.1 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul, 
I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I still have my being. Again, the theme of this psalm is this admonition, this command to praise the Lord. It's a command. He's commanding us to praise the Lord. But what does praise the Lord mean? The, the, the Hebrew term behind that is hallelujah. We just sang hallelujah in the psalm that we, the song that we sang. And, and hallelujah is really two words put together. It's this hallel, which means praise, together with yah or jah, which is the word for God or Yahweh, which is this personal name of God. And when you typically in your Bible, when you see Yahweh, it's typically like in all caps is Lord, L-O-R-D, but it's in all caps. And that's throughout the Psalms. So what's behind this, this term of praise the Lord is the word hallelujah. And it's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word on how it's put together but also it really gets to the heart of what our religion or what our spirituality is all about. At the end of the day, we are to live these lives where we praise the Lord. What does it mean to praise? If you need a definition for it, I think it's joyously shining. Praising something is celebrating something. It's boasting about something. It's shining on that thing, meaning that it's that you radiate things about it, but then you illuminate things about it. Like you, you want that thing that you're praising. You want it to be big and high and glorious. You want people to see it for all the, for all the glorious things that he is. And so further, when we celebrate those things, when we shine light on it, we actually experience joy ourselves. So as we're praising something, it kind of kicks back at us and we end up experiencing joy as a result of it. So praise is always accompany with energy and passion but then again it kicks back to us where we experience this deep happiness and joy as a result of doing it for example when you see something great it brings you happiness to talk about it right like I'm kind of a movie buff and sometimes I've seen people where they've seen the same movie and like there's this great scene from the movie and introverts like if you've both seen it like what's the point of talking about it right but like they talk about it. And so they're just chattering on about it. They've both seen it. They both understand it. They're both kind of giving their angle and they're getting energetic. They're excited about it. Why are they doing that? Because it makes them happy. Like it's taking them back to something that they want to praise. They want to make big. But, as, but in the end, they're experiencing joy as a result of it. So they're radiating it. They're illuminating it. They're shining about it. So praise is all about joyously shining over something. And we can praise all sorts of things, right? And I don't think that that's bad. There's so many good things that we should praise. Listen, we just had a great group of seniors. We should praise them for that. We should be excited about uh, what they've accomplished and where they're going. We, we should praise our kids. We should get excited about different things with our spouses and our friends and different things going on at church or in our lives. Listen, I get excited watching Luka Doncic, okay? I get really excited watching C.D. Lamb. Like when he makes a great catch and dodges people. Like I get excited about those things. You should praise those things. You should shine light on those glorious things. And in turn, they make you happy and they bring you joy. But you should ultimately shine light on the Lord. That's the call of this psalm is to shine light on the Lord. We're to praise Him ultimately. He's the thing that we are ultimately to radiate and illuminate. There's nothing greater than Him. There's nothing more glorious than the Lord. You're not going to find any more joy than in praising Him. There's nothing higher. There's nothing more glorious in this life than Him. And listen, that's good news 
Because maybe if you have nothing else going on in your life that is glorious, you always have Him. Through all the highs and through all the lows, He is constant in His glory. And you can always praise Him, and you can always find joy in Him. The Cowboys might never win another Super Bowl. Luca might leave town, okay? But we're always going to have things to praise. No matter what goes on in your life, this thing is constant. God is always glorious. You have a light that's never going to go out. You have this wonderful thing that you can ponder and praise, and it always remains. And thus, you always experience joy from the praise. But he goes further. He commands his soul to praise God. Do you see that in these first two verses? He commands his soul to praise God. You see, he's pushing back, pushing past something superficial. He's not just talking about outer behaviors. He's talking about that heart on the inside. He's telling his soul to praise God. You see, he's saying for us to praise God from our innermost being, from who we are at the deepest levels, we're to praise him. And also notice from those first two verses that as long as we have breath, we're to praise him. As long as there's being, we're to praise him. What he's getting at is we're to praise him with everything that we have for as long as we can. Shine the light on the Lord. Gaze upon Him and all His glorious attributes. All these things that just seem impossible that are true about God, reflect upon those things. Roll around in your mind all these things that He has done and accomplished and all these things that He promises. We're to praise Him for all of those things. Everything in your life might be falling apart, but you have those glorious things about Him that you can joy over from the core of your being. Not in this superficial level. But at the core of who you are, praise Him, radiate Him, and illuminate Him. Again, this is a command, and it's a command in Psalm 146. But you see this all throughout the Bible. You see it beyond these five Hallel Psalms here at the end of Psalms. You see it all throughout the New Testament. Let me reference Colossians 3, 15, and 16. Because in Colossians 3, it makes a connection between a heart that is grateful or a heart that has thanksgiving in it with these outer praises. Psalm, or Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. You see, we're to live grateful, thankful lives. Christians are to exhibit thanksgiving. We're to have these, these hearts that, that are displaying thankfulness. And listen, if your heart is not thankful and grateful, Again, that's this check engine light of saying, listen, there's something off behind that. But true thanksgiving and and true gratefulness, that can't stay on the inside, right? Like if you have a heart that's grateful, that's going to spill out on the outside. So that's where he goes in Colossians uh, 3.16, the next verse. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, gratitude leads to praise. Thankfulness leads to worship. And and friend, hear this. If there's not a lot of praise on your lips, there's something wrong with your heart. There's something off in your heart. If your lips don't mark praise in, in your spirituality, your life, there's not evidence of praise coming out of you. It means there's something off at the heart level. So praise is a way of life. It's a spirituality. It's our religion. 
We're, we're to radiate and illuminate praise of God. We're to make Him big. And, and further, we're to find joy in it. And, and we're to do it with all of our being, with all of our might. As long as we have breath in our lungs, we're to praise Him. And it comes back at us in the sense that that's where we find joy. That, that's our happy place, right, Christians? Like everything can be falling down around you. And you come to church on Sunday and you focus again on Him and you praise Him again. That becomes your happy place. But listen, if that doesn't mark your life, something's off. There's a rebuke then in this psalm that something's not right. So believe again and joy by illuminating the greatness of God. Praise the Lord. But what gets in the way of praise? Look at verses 3 and 4. Do not praise princes. Verse 3 says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So he opens with this admonition, praise the Lord. And now he gives a second one. Do not put your trust in princes. So there's a parallel here. Praise the Lord. Do not put your trust in princes. There's a parallel between not only the Lord and princes, but also praise and trust. You see, there's a, an aspect of praising that includes trusting. So when you're praising God, you're trusting Him for things. But we're not to praise and trust princes. And we're not to praise them, but we're also not to trust them. So they believed good things in these princes to the degree that they radiated joy in talking about these princes. There were things that they trusted about these princes that they wanted to illuminate about, that they wanted to, to talk about, to chatter on about. And as they chatter on about it, it made them happy when they thought about it. So they pinned hope for happiness on these human princes. That's what he's getting at here. But this is a rebuke. He's saying, don't do that. Don't seek your happiness in princes. There's a rebuke here, and he gives a rebuke for two reasons. There's two reasons why they're not supposed to put their trust in princes. The first one is, is because they don't bring salvation. You think they're going to bring salvation at some level. You think they're going to save you from something, but they're not actually going to save you. You're believing a lie. But second, and related, it's because these princes are going to die. They're not like God where they're eternal. So no human can bring salvation. And listen, when you hear the word salvation in the Bible, it can have kind of a, a narrow meaning or a broad meaning. But like in its narrow understanding, it's talking about our salvation in a real strict sense. Like, how do you get into heaven? How are you born again? So when we talk about salvation, it can talk about, okay, Jesus came, lived a perfect life, became that sacrificial lamb, so that He could die on the cross for your sins. He becomes that atonement for your sins, paying for all your sins, past, present, future. And if you would trust in Him, then your sins are atoned for. You're born again. The Holy Spirit comes, lives inside of you. Jesus intercedes for you for eternity. And then you live when you die for, for eternity in heaven and then the new heavens and the new earth. That's the strict understanding of salvation. But in this broader understanding of salvation, that's what I think He's talking about here. It's talking about just saving us or freeing us from some sort of bondage. And we can have all sorts of salvations that people can free us from. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about how in this broader sense, they're trusting princes for that type of salvation. Now, it's easy not to trust princes for your eternal salvation, right? But he's talking about a broader category. He's saying, listen, you're putting your hope for happiness in mere mortal men. And you know what happens to mere mortal men? They die. But God doesn't die. God doesn't let us down. And when we seek salvation in mere mortal men, 
They always let us down. they, They can't bear the weight that we're putting upon them. You can't find your ultimate happiness in another person. They're always going to fail us. But by comparison, God is the only one who can bring salvation, and He's the only one who never dies. His salvation is always better. He satisfies your soul more than a new job could satisfy your soul, or or more than moving to a new location could satisfy your soul. Further, He's never going to die. He's never going to let you down. He can bear all the weight that you put upon Him. All that hope for happiness and joy, that can be put upon Him, and you can find satisfaction for your soul there. He's a well that never runs dry. Therefore, don't trust and praise princes. As I reflected on that command this week, That's the simple question we should all be asking. Okay, who are the princes that we trust in today? We don't live in a kingdom. We don't even have princes in in our country. Who are the princes that we trust in? I I think there's a couple of key princes that we can tend to idolize. Number one, many of us can idolize politics. But second, many of us can idolize family and children. And listen, both of those are a poor man's religion. Both of those are going to let you down in some way. Like, for example, if you're finding your ultimate happiness on if your candidate's going to win, brother, you're going to ride a wave that's going to be up and down. And listen, I'll be frank. I think the most unhappy people in our culture are people who make their politics their religion. Okay, They're up and down, and they're angry, and they're never satisfied. You know why? Because politics is a poor man's religion. It can't ultimately satisfy. It's a poor man's religion. That, that politician is going to let you down. Now listen, praise God, there are some godly politicians. You might not know them, but I mean, there's some of them are. But let's be honest, there's a lot of corrupt politicians, right? And listen, even if they do everything right, they're going to disappoint you in some way. Politics is a poor man's religion. But let's get a little bit closer to home. We live in suburbia, don't we? Probably the reason, adults, why you moved here is because you wanted a great place to raise your kids. And amen, we're glad you came. And, and I was raised here. And I can tell you, this is a great place to grow up. I grew up here, grateful for this place. This is a great place to raise kids. But subtly, sometimes in suburbia, we can drift into this place where we're idolizing our family and idolizing our kids. We're only happy if our kids are doing well. Man, that's a... That's a roller coaster too, isn't it, right? Listen, kids, you, you can only be happy if, if everything's going well in your family or, or if your parents are doing exactly what you want them to do. Listen, family and children and parents, all those things, that's also a poor man's religion. And, and here's another just asterisk to that that's helpful. If you're idolizing your family, you're actually not going to be the person that God wants you to be in your family. Listen, if you're worshiping your children, it's kind of hard to have a hard conversation with them when you need to have that hard conversation with them, right? We can subtly idolize our family, and it's a poor man's religion. Listen, keep up with issues. Vote. We need you to vote. Vote your conscience. Vote uh, the things that you think are right. But but never forget that politics is a poor man's religion. And, And listen, be a good dad. Be a good mom. God's calling you to it. Your family is a blessing to you. The Lord's given it to you as a gift. Enjoy them. Invest in them. Prioritize them. But don't put your trust in princes. You see, family is also a poor man's religion. 
It'll let you down if you put it up on this pedestal as the thing that is ultimately your religion, the thing that you're hoping on the most for your happiness. Therefore, let's step a little bit deeper into why praising is a blessing. If we're to praise God and not to trust in princes, why is praising God such a blessing? Look at verses 5 to 7. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Let me stop there. Again, the overall charge is to praise God. And then he said, and, and, and what gets in the way of praising God is trusting princes. Don't trust princes. And now he starts talking about the, the blessing of praising God. There's, there's a blessing to you personally if you'll heed this command. And notice what he says. There was a link in the previous section between praising and trusting. There's a second link here between praising and help and hope. In verse four, or I'm sorry, in verse five, he talks about blessed are those who whose help is in God and whose hope is in the Lord his God. So, so there's a, a link there between praising God and seeking him for help and seeking him for hope. In other words, our praise is about seeking him for help, and our praise is about hoping him. That's at its core what praise is all about. Further, he talks about the blessing of all of that. So it's a blessing to turn to God for help. It's a blessing to turn to God for hope for future things. So so no matter what you need help on, you can turn to Him for help. And and listen, if you're new to this Christianity thing, and you were kind of wondering what we were doing in that first song, we've got some more coming after the sermon. But if you're wondering, okay, what is that all about? Listen, it's about turning to God for help and hope. And many times in our church, people are are singing out, hands are up, tears are coming down. And it's all about uh, praising God by turning to Him for help. Help me with this thing. Help me with this struggle. You turn to God for help in your praise. But many times, those same hands up, those same tears coming down, and it's really about hoping for God in the future. You don't know it's around the future, but you're believing in Him for your future, and you're finding joy as you trust in Him for your future. You turn to God for help. Is God your hope? Listen, those are key questions as we talk about the blessings of praise. If you do that, then praise moves from not just a command, but also a blessing. If you turn to God for help and you turn to God for hope, you're going to find blessing there as you cry out to Him. How has God promised to help you? Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Do you believe God is your help? What's the biggest trial you're facing in your life right now? Are are you turning to God or or bringing God into that? Are, Are you turning to Him for help? Do you believe that He has helped you? Do you believe that He promises to help you? But but what about hope? How has God promised to give you a good future? Romans 8 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. He's not saying those bad things that happen to you are good. He's saying those bad things that happen to you, He sovereignly, in His good grace, turns those to your good. And He promises you a good future. You believe that. Like what's the greatest challenge you're facing right now? Maybe it's a bad thing. Do you believe that God is turning that to your good? Do you believe that God has promised you a good future and secured that for you? 
Are you praising him for those things? I'm a, I'm a great grumbler and complainer. So if you're like me, can I give you some tips and some tips on how to praise God? I, I find these very helpful. Let, let, me give you, let me give you five tips on how to praise God. N- number one, engage in weekly worship. Be here and sing here. Engage in weekly worship. Reflect upon what we're singing. Like, listen, we, we pick songs that musically are strong and, like, you know, stir our souls in some way. But ultimately, it's really not about the music. It's about the lyrics. Like, we pick songs with specific lyrics in them. And we, and we want you to reflect upon those truths as you ponder those lyrics. That's really what stirs you to praise. So the first thing, engage in weekly worship. Number two, praise Him daily in, in devotional prayer. Meaning, take time every morning praying to Him where you illuminate these glorious truths to him, where you, uh, where, where you not only reflect upon God's greatness, but you tell him how awesome he is. To do that every morning. And listen, let me challenge you. Get specific. Get specific in praising God for the great things that he's done for you. Maybe it's you as an individual. Maybe it's these broader redemptive truths. But get specific every morning and praise him. Number three, write down what you're thankful for. Like, listen, if you're struggling to praise God, get intentional and write it down. Listen, for me, I wake up and I start worrying about problems. That, that's how I wake up every morning. And I've got I've to stop and write it down, thanking God what I'm thankful for. And I've got to get intentional. But the good news is I've noticed that when I write those things down and I focus on the things that I'm thankful for, my my heart begins to soften. I I begin to praise Him for it. My mind is off all those worries, all those things that are making me angry or anxious, and, and it's put on Him. And so I have to be intentional and I have to write it down. Fourth, notice when you're complaining and turn those complaints into praises. The opposite of praise, to be clear here, is grumbling and complaining. What comes out of your lips more? Grumbling and complaining or praise? That should be an utterly convicting question. It is for me. Like as I evaluate myself, I hear more grumbling, complaining, and less praise. Listen, if that's you, take those complaints and turn them into praise. Make that this this spiritual experiment where you're exploring, okay, how can I praise God with this problem? How can I praise God with this struggle? How can you turn your complaints into praise? And fifth, and maybe this is random for some of you, enjoy God's creation. Get out and smell the flowers and ponder the beauty of sunrises and sunsets because those are part of God's gracious gift to us and understand that He is the Creator God and thank Him for it. Let those things fill your soul. Friends, we're called to a spirituality of praise. It's a command but it's also a blessing. But it's a, it's a blessing because it becomes our, our happy place. Well, this final term of the psalm is this final line in verse 7 where he calls us to praise the Lord for his glory. So look at this list. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. The psalm is now ascending to this climactic moment. The song has crescendoed here. The the, the story has hit this high note with this glorious list of all these great things that we have to praise God for. 
Listen, if you're a curmudgeon and you're like, I don't have anything to praise God for, you've got this list. If nothing else is going well in your life, you have got this list. You've got this list of these glorious things that God has done. Starting at the top, he has this history of setting prisoners free. Remember Peter in Acts 12. He has this history of opening the eyes of the blind physically and spiritually. Think Paul in Acts 9. God exalts the lowly. Remember uh, 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 King David, David, just this forgotten son out in the field working, this forgotten son, but God exalts him to the highest of highs. God loves the righteous. Recall the faithful ones of Hebrews 11. God cares for those who don't fit in, the sojourners living on the fringes of society. Remember poor Ruth and how God brought her in and gave her a family. God cares for the widows and the orphans. Recall Psalm 68.5 that proclaims God is the father of the fatherless and the protector of the widows. And God promises justice for all. You guys remember Revelation 21 and the promise of a new heavens and a new earth where things will be made, what will be made right and made whole. These are the promises of God. This is this list to praise Him for. Praise Him for what He's done in your personal life. Praise Him for those things daily. But praise Him for these broader things, these redemptive things that He's done for all of His people throughout all of time. God is glorious and praise Him for it. And then we land with verse 10. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Friends, Earthly rulers will retire. They'll pass away. But who will continue to care for the weak? Who will continue to bring justice and enable flourishing? God will because God reigns forever. He's going to outlast any president, any dictator. He's going to, he'll be there when your parents or your children are not. He's in charge of your business when it's, when it's succeeding or when it's failing. He, he's going to uh, be there ruling from his holy mountain, Zion, for all his peoples, for all times and in all places. He's sovereign over all of it. He is reigning. He's the creator God, the king of kings. His reign has no end. And so praise him forever. Amen. What a glorious charge. Is the Lord reigning in your heart? Listen, he's reigning with or without you. If you want to jump into that stream and go down it with him or not, he is reigning. The question is at a heart level, is he ruling and reigning in your life? Are there things that you need to give over to him? Maybe in the quiet corners of your heart. Are there things that you hope in for happiness that are not him? Let him reign in those areas. And further, is the Lord reigning in your life? Not only at the inner heart motivations and affections on the inside but but is that spilling out into your life does your life reflect this commitment to his ways and his word and his reign are your are the behaviors in your life are other things that need to change that you need to turn from is he reigning you see if he's not reigning in your life you can't praise him you can't praise him with integrity there's going to be a hypocrisy there I recently heard an interesting interview with a, a lady named Molly Wortham about her conversion. And in the interview, she made it, it was kind of a throwaway comment, but she made a fascinating insight about praise and worship. Um, Molly Wortham is a, is a history and religion professor at the University of North Carolina. She's an academic. She's also a, a religion journalist. But the interesting thing about her story is, is she grew up in a very secular home. I and mean, she literally 
grew up about two miles from one of the most prominent Christian universities in the country, and she never heard the gospel growing up. She remembers one time uh, that her family uh, went to church, and she hated every second of it. She said there was just something in her spirit that, that hated it. But Molly was academically inclined. She went to uh, Yale University. She studied history and religion. She ended up getting her PhD in that. And her dissertation, it's, I think it's kind of weird, but it was on this real fringe Russian Orthodoxy community living in Canada. I only say that to say that uh, as she dove into that, she did what a good academic does. Like she, she uh, was very generous to try to understand her subject. She wasn't critical of them. She was just trying to understand them in their context. She wasn't trying to bring her own biases into her study of them. But like everybody, she had her own biases. She has her own convictions. And, and at the end of the day, she was a secular person. She was skeptical of religion in general. And, and she was a respected academic. Yale PhD, teaching at the University of North Carolina. She was respectable. So she resolved, okay, listen, if I ever become a Christian, it's going to have to be at one of those respectable churches. So she said, if I ever become a Christian, I'm going to be a Catholic or maybe like an Anglican. And so she tried those out a little bit, and, but it never really stuck with her. But then she was assigned to, to write an article about a, a local uh, Southern Baptist megachurch in her area, which was not respectable in her eyes. But the interesting thing about this church is probably the largest church in her area, and that pastor had just become the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So she was hired to go write an article about him and his church. And as they met, this pastor asked Molly about her faith. And she confessed that she wasn't a Christian. She was transparent about her objections. But then their correspondence it started to get pretty evangelistic. He started evangelizing her. And listen, she... She's a PhD in religion. She knows what's going on. Like she understands that, okay, this is what he's doing. But, but she said that it, it wasn't like one of these cheesy sales pitches. He, he was a pastor trying to pastor her. He wasn't trying to get a scalp. He wasn't trying to say something just a certain way in order to grab her and, and, and lock her in on something. But, but he was just really trying to listen to her, understand uh, her perspective, and just trying to engage her in that way. So she trusted him enough to kind of open up. And she said, listen, my objections are the authority of Scripture, the canonicity of Scripture. I can't get over that in order to really trust Christianity. So he started sending her articles. He started sending her books. And she said, it was like I got an MA in, in canonicity of Scripture with this guy. But it became this kind of pebble in her shoe that she couldn't get past. And then a second thing happened. She had to like go to the church for this article. So she's going and watching this worship. And she confessed, listen, I kind of looked down at the whole thing. Like, it wasn't respectable. Like, I respect liturgy. But this is like people crying. This is people passionate. This is people yelling out. This is a very simple thing. And this seems very small-minded. But, but the pastor helped her see that everything hinges on Jesus. This was his apologetic, his, his evangelistic push with her, is that everything hinges on Jesus. And more specifically, everything hinges on the resurrection. Now, listen... If you're here and you're not a believer, you need to hear that. Everything hinges on the resurrection. You see, because what this pastor said is, I'll say to you, if Jesus rose from the dead, nothing else matters. No, no side objection that you have. Good point, but Jesus rose from the dead. So what do you do with that? And that's where he took her, and he challenged her. Okay, well, dig deep into that. So that's what she did. She dug deep in, in making a case for the resurrection. Is this true? Now, in the end, through that route, Molly Wortham was converted. She focused on Jesus, and then she fell in love with Jesus. Now, in the interview that I was listening to with her, she makes this interesting observation about praise and worship. And this is where I'll leave us. 
She said that, you know, initially she looked down at the simplicity of evangelical worship. They just roll in, they sing songs. There's no liturgy to this. She respected the, 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 the liturgy and how it affected the mind. She's someone that lives in the mind. But, but she said, you know, when she gave herself to her church's worship, she found that she loved it. And here's what she said. She said that she loved it because she felt that at the, at the end of the day, liturgical worship ended up being focused on the liturgy. So if it's all about stand up and sit down, then it kind of becomes all about stand up and sit down or say things at a certain time, don't say at a certain time. It all becomes about saying things at a certain time and not saying things at a certain time. But she said, listen, th- th- this worship just cut through the noise of all that and just put me right on Christ. And there was something simple about that and there was something beautiful about that, just being focused on Christ. What a wonderful insight. Listen, I'm not trying to run, run down liturgy necessarily. But I'm saying, listen, what we do here, there is a liturgy to that. And it's about to turn your eyes on Jesus. That's what it's about. Is your praise focused on Jesus? Let me read what the interview concluded with. The interviewer got excited about that point, And he said, what's it all about? It's all about Jesus. God became man, raised from the dead, took our place on the cross, but triumphed over death and, and was resurrected, ascended into heaven, and sits now interceding on our behalf. Man, that's just what it's all about. Is that what it's all about for you? Is that the thing that radiates in your soul? Is that the thing that you illuminate? The thing that you shine? Is that your religion? Is that your spirituality? Friends, praise Him. Shine light on the Lord today. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for this this psalm and this command. Each and every one of us needs it today. We need to take our eyes off ourselves and our problems and put them on you. We need to turn from praising and trying to find our happiness in princes. Maybe they're good ones, but they're not ultimate ones. They're not you. They're never going to satisfy like you. They're not glorious like you. Father God, may we be a praising people. Lord, if there's someone in here that's wrestling with the faith, May they hear today that there's nothing more glorious than you. There's no one else that has rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven, uh, accomplishing atonement on the cross along the way. No one's done that. No matter what objection we can come up with, we have to face that. So, Father, may we be a praising people because of all the glorious things that you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray.